Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Shelf podcast. My name is Jamie Skinner and in this podcast I invite guests to bring and discuss five different items or symbols which they believe have brought them joy or have generally contributed to good mental health in their lives so far. These items then get put on a non-existent shelf for the guests to non-existently look at whenever things are getting a bit stressful or when they're just in need of some escape. And of course the items can be absolutely anything the guest wants. Teas made, conkers, laser disc cassette. Kids... Ask your parents. This month I am joined by comedian and writer Howard Reed, who I say comedian and writer, but that kind of just starts to scratch the surface. I'm sure we'll jump into a number of things that he's done uh, during the course of our conversation, but he's written for a variety of audiences on a number of different shows, received a handful of award nominations and wins for it as well. For a certain age group here in the UK, you might know him for his CBBC series he did just over 10 years ago called Little Howard's Big Question. I'm sure that will come up. I have a couple of questions relating to Little Howard and his animation process to uh, talk about before we get into his shelf. And so that's enough waffle from me, I think. Let's just dive into it, shall we? Here is the mental health shelf of Howard Reed. It's wonderful to welcome to this month's edition of the Mental Health Shelf podcast, a stand-up comedian for both families and adults who's been nominated for the Perrier Award alongside BAFTA and international Emmy nominations for his screenwriting work, which saw him win a Writers Guild of Great Britain Award for his CBBC series, Little Howard's Big Question. Howard Reed, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. How are you doing? Yes, good. Yes, I'm a... Uh, uh... Spending my days writing a kids show at the moment for Milkshake on Channel 5. And so, yes, my days are very busy bouncing ideas of stories about organising other writers uh, and being told we can't do things by uh, animation studios. I want to kind of start with your writing work in a way, because when you're writing for one show and you might have to go to another, but particularly maybe if you go from writing for a kids show in the day and then you go to stand up in the evening... How are you able to kind of keep track of that? Do you have to shift your mindset? Not really. It's sort of it's in a similar way that um, most people are programmed not to use bad language in front of their parents or grandparents. Um, you just get. You, I think people's brains are used to interacting with people in different ways and with with, with different content. And uh, yeah, I've never inadvertently said anything rude in front of a kids' audience. I've probably done a few things that are far too childish for an adult audience, uh, but I was doing those anyway. Um, so yeah, that that kind of that happens quite naturally, and I think that happens quite naturally with most people. Everyone who uh, I've, I've been doing some work with uh, Sophie Scott, who's a Professor Sophie Scott, who's a cognitive neuroscience scientist, and she's got lots of theories about how it, all speech is a performance to some degree. Um, and everyone's always aware of their audience that's listening to them. And so everyone's all, you're always editing what you're saying, depending on who you're saying it to. So, yeah, I think that that's a thing that comes quite naturally. The The thing that's nice is that in my day job, which is writing for kids telly, there's loads of things you can't make jokes about. Um, and so it's lovely to go out in the evening and just make jokes about whatever you like. Yeah, stand up has always been sort of a bit like running away, paid running away for me. Uh, and so whatever I do, it's always nice to blow off steam doing that as it gets this lovely juxtaposition to the very solitary work that is a writer um, to then go out in front of a room full of people and show off and swear. <laughs> I, I heard you say somewhere that in terms of your stand up, sometimes it, it can be very intensive, particularly when you're dealing with the animation side of things, when you're doing the big Howard, little Howard act. 
Um, are there various creative outlets then? Is this something that you look for then? Because you incorporate songs sometimes and you've done so, so much with your stand-up and just with so many elements, like you write sketches or just full shows. Do you look for variety when it comes to creativity? Yeah, I tend to... Um, I sort of, ironically, my, my stand-up is now, because I'm doing lots of other things, my stand-up has now become quite quite stand-up shaped uh, in that I might my, my, partly as a reaction because because my live little Howard shows are so technically complex that another way of running away from that is to just do straight stand-up which is took me talking into a mic but I've always um I've always found it's always hard to be original I think and so I I find the best ideas for me are usually the stupidest ones and the ones that no one else would be bothered to do <laughs> uh so I've been, yeah so little Howard was a great thing to come up with because I started animating when I was um, and I did radio sh stuff at, at university and I started doing stand up and so vo doing voiceovers and animating. Um, I sort of was naturally quite good at, at character animating anyway. And so, so it was a nice way of standing out from the crowd by doing something entirely different. And I find that it's very easy to be generic as a stand up, And so you're constantly, I'm constantly rejecting ideas because they're too much too close to other people's ideas but if you start as far away from even the genre that other people are working in um and come up with your own little genre you're always going to be original because you're doing something that no one else is likely to have done before which wasn't a conscious effort it was just the way my mind works i i yeah i always yeah i think you're right i do i do look for the most different way of doing things can you talk a bit more about that? And particularly, you use the phrase you like to delve into things that are a bit stupid. I've got a list on my phone which is literally labelled stupid ideas, stuff that, you know, I shouldn't do, I shouldn't delve into, all that kind of stuff, because they're just ridiculous and they'll never be successful. And I kind of try to challenge myself at least once a year to fulfil just one of those stupid ideas. Um, can you mm. just talk a bit more about, I guess, doing something different, doing something that, you know, you yourself might even brand as stupid. Yeah, and often my the best shows that I do I usually come up with, come up. I usually come up with them with in a conversation with a friend who uh, just bouncing ideas about, and between us we come up with. So one of my shows was there's a um, there's an uh, enormous uh, six foot pencil in the corner. A show I did called the Magic Pencil of Life and Death. I came up with an animator friend of mine who's also a musician called M musician, not magician. Uh, he might be a magician as well. I don't know. He's very multi talented. Called Martin White. And he's a 3D animator. And we came up with the idea. He, he was experimenting with making... See, he makes CG animations. He's very successful at CG animation now. But um, with CG, you can film it in 3D, in old school um, uh, red and um, blue cyan and magenta, uh, old school 3D glasses. And so he came up with the idea that not only could he make Little Howard in, in 3D, because Little Howard's very much a 2D um, sort of fuzzy felt style flash animation, um, that then we could have the moments from like from our childhood when in 3D movies, like Little Howard flew out over the screen. A lot of the best ideas come from conversations with other people. So it's not only going into places that are unfamiliar and silly, but quite often the best ideas come from someone else's brain or, or so... So someone putting an input into my world. Um, another one, my, one of my, my best adult Little Howard show was called The Little Howard Appeal, which was based on uh, Little Howard being in a coma and only being able to be revived by laughter and very good reviews. Um, so, <laughs> and that, that came up for a conversation with Dan Antofolsky, who's a very good friend of mine, um, of just, just batting idea. And I wouldn't have come up with that idea had I not been talking 
I can't remember why I was talking. I think we were talking about Edinburgh and how, yeah, how divisive it is. And uh, yeah, the idea of, of having the audience have to give you really good reviews in order to save a small child from death uh, felt like a funny idea. And so, yeah, I think the more I go on, the more I go on doing creative things, the more I realise that talking to other creative people and immersing yourself in other people's creativity and art and reading books and watching as many films as you can and watching t- if you're interested in writing sitcoms watch loads of sitcoms that's my lunchtime activity is I'm, I'm i'm binging sitcoms at lunch uh just because that's one a thing i'd like to do and so getting other people's ideas into your head is great because if you've got an original brain like most creative people do you won't ever copy those things like you'll always come up with your own weird twist on them when you're watching those sitcoms, do they act as much as an element of escape as well as research? Yeah, and also, uh, the, I for a long time, I would avoid watching other stand-ups and watching sitcoms because I worried that I'd copy because I've got quite a magpie mind. But I think all creative people do have magpie minds, um, but it's also like a sausage machine and the, like it, stuff goes in one ear and it will always come out different when when you express it in, uh, in your own way. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, the, the more the merrier as far as sort of consuming stuff. And yeah, it's it's, it's I, yeah, it's lovely to find something as a cynical old comic who's been going for twenty years plus. Find something that genuinely makes you laugh is is great because you quite often as a creative person you just as a comic you tend to watch things and and go yeah that's funny and nod quietly to yourself yeah yeah if you can find something that actually makes you laugh out loud then that's that's great as well because that's living as well as working. When you've got these ideas, so say something comes up in a conversation, you take that, you work on it, you might do some animations, you might take it to Edinburgh, work on all of that. Because of the amount of time that it takes, because of just how much detail you've got to go into in various different areas, you know, doing the live stuff as well as um, all the pre-recorded stuff maybe, you must be confident with the idea that you've got. Do, do you find, you know, how, many, how much of it, I guess, is confidence, how much is nerves? What's the balance like for you? And the problem with with Little Howard, and one of the reasons that I don't do as much of it, I concentrate on other things, is it takes so long. And you can have an idea that in your head is brilliant. And it takes an incredibly long time. As a stand-up, you come up with a joke, you can say it on stage. And very often, the best way of getting a joke out is if you think of it on stage, or just before you walk on stage and say a version of it, and your, your sort of flight or fight instinct that goes on when you're on stage will create the best version of that joke coming out of your mouth. It's a, it's a slightly magical thing, but you can't do that with, with an animation in that you have to, you have to write it, you have to script it, you have to voice it, you have to lip sync it, you have to animate it, and then you have to try it out. And quite often um, uh, it's not as good as you thought it was. Which is, so it's an incredibly long winded way of doing things. I, I yeah, very often the, the stuff that I think is the funniest. And I, I write a sketch and I think, oh, this is brilliant. I've I, I've absolutely nailed this. This is going to be solid gold. And I you write it and you animate the whole thing. I don't want to try it out anyone because uh, this is great. Very often that 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 doesn't work. <laughs> like once it gets into the ears of other people, it, it doesn't work. And it's easy when you're writing a script. It's easy to do that on the fly because like at the moment I'm writing lots of scripts and sending them to the company I'm working with, and they're giving me notes and I'm sending it back. And then that that sort of you, after spending two days grumbling and swearing about the notes, you realise actually they've got a point and then you rewrite it. And it does lead to a better thing very quickly because you're just working on the written word. Um, yeah, the the turnaround time, it's like changing a little Howard show is like turning an oil tanker. It, like, it takes days. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it can be quite frustrating. And very often the, the other thing about writing is you 
the, the whole thing of um, uh, kill your darlings is you spend a lot of time throwing out your favorite ideas because they're not working. Uh, but that process takes so much longer if you've had to animate it all first uh, before you tried it out. And you try, I tend to tend to try it out in, when previous seasons before Edinburgh, you tend to try things out and then, uh, well, th- those those guys are idiots, not laughing at that. I'll try it at this next place. And then you try it and they don't laugh either. It takes you a while to realize that the idea you thought was brilliant is, uh, yeah, isn't working for the audience. And th- there's usually a way of making it work for the audience, but uh, sometimes that takes a lot of thinking. Uh, especially if you're doing something that no not no one else does really and so working out why it's not working isn't necessarily as obvious as if it was just a stand up joke because you can see i i've seen loads of other people have jokes that don't land in stand up and so i've got quite good at working out why they haven't landed because no one else does what i do with the animation stuff it's really hard to know why why it's not landing sometimes You've said now that you're doing a lot of kids TV. You're a head writer on a uh, on a couple of things, and I've you know seen pictures of you kind of head of the table, leading the group. Can you talk a bit about collective creativity? Um, yeah, it's sort of it, what's lovely is when you get a team of people who um, everyone's bringing something to the table, and everyone's. So the team I'm working on a show called Standing Ground at the moment, which is um, for which is Jellyfish Pictures and uh, Jolly Wise, who are a Brighton-based uh, company, and it's a preschool sh- detective show about nature. And basically, everyone around the t- table is bringing something good. There's a nature expert who's just full of brilliant facts, and he's very funny in himself. The creator of the show, John Mason, is um, yeah, is just incredibly passionate about nature and about his project, and it, about it's basically a love song to his grand. Um, and everybody, and there's 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 lots of other people in the mix who are very good at telling you why you can't do something, usually for a technical or animation reason, but coming up with a way you can make the joke work that way. And so, yeah, it's what's great is when you've got a really good team together. That's lovely, and we've got a really lovely team of writers who are all are all come got different levels of experience. Uh, but all will come up with ideas that I wouldn't have come up with because they've got different brains to me and they're from different backgrounds to me. But it's very much it's very very much writing a kids series where you're writing fifty one stories. It's very much about taking the ideas, smashing them to bits, and rebuilding them, and knocking up knocking off all the 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 rough edges. So it can be quite. It's like getting notes on anything. It's it, it can be quite different. Even though, yeah, I've been doing it for like fifteen years, and I'm the head writer on this. And uh, every time I get a note that that means losing an idea that or or affecting an idea that I really like, I just sit there just grumbling to myself. And eventually you realise there there's a better version of that joke out there ticking the boxes and, and uh, addressing the problems that the note givers given. So it's it's what it's yeah, it's 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 great fun because especially stand up is very solitary, writing is very solitary. So when you're working with other people who know what they're doing, it's yeah, it's really nice. And you sort of you can see the idea start off as one thing and then turn into another, but it's but it it's all greater than the sum of its parts. Let's move on. Let's go to your mental health shelf then. The items and symbols that bring you joy, escape, but just, well, generally make you happy. Where do you want to start? Um, I've, well, I, where should I start? Um, I, uh, my dogs, uh, they haven't interrupted us yet. My dogs are one of them. They wouldn't stay on a the shelf. They'd, uh, they'd jump off and they'd bark at everyone who went past on the shelf. Uh, but uh, yeah, what, what, especially at the moment, I'm yeah, writing most most hours in the day. Um, having to take the dogs out is is great. Just going out in nature, being uh, being in the great outdoors, um, stopping them barking at, uh, oh, yeah, stopping at barking at other dogs and, and <laughs> fellow dog walkers. Um, yeah, they, they're a mixed blessing. They yeah, they they are uh, they they're a joy to just sit and 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 sort of scratch. Uh, 
but then they they also because they're rescues they also uh hate everyone who comes into our house <laughs> we've had decorators in and uh yeah and so i've been moved into the other room and had to lock the door and every time the decorator who enjoyed singing quite a lot uh made any noise uh chewy who's down there would just hur, 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 hur. yeah for some time which is quite hard if you're trying to write a question that I, I tend to ask pretty much anyone who uh, brings up any form of pet, dog, cat, which is quite a few people. People prefer animals over humans. That's what I've learned from this podcast so far. Um, I, I, I ask, do you talk to them? Not, you know, the basic commands, but do you just unload your stresses onto them? Um, I probably don't. So I don't. I don't sort of sit them down. <laughs> One of the reasons we wanted to get a dog was that, um, that uh, my wife had a dog when she was younger and when she was a kid and as a teenager she'd slag off her parents to her dog um which i don't do um but uh yeah but if you're having a, a tough day ch- chasing them around and giving them a script and uh uh i do talk to them and i constantly come up with stupid nicknames for them uh and yeah they're, they, they've inspired quite a lot of stand-up as well um but uh yeah i don't actually they don't act as a therapist uh to me and like sit down and talk me through my troubles um but yeah, just them being there, and also because I'm because my wife works and my kids are at school, uh, them just sitting there curled up and following you about devotedly is like it make, makes you feel wanted at least. Does that help particularly when you're writing on your own? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, just having having yeah another thing to talk to another sentient mm-hmm. being. Although there's, he's not sentient at the moment, he's curled up in his basket. Um, yeah, it definitely. Yeah, definitely a bit of, bit of company. Does it sound like an old lady? Does it stop you then from, I guess, getting trapped in your own head in a way, or just stuck and completely focused until you, I guess, finished one task? Yeah, and 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 also just another thing about creativity is a, a really a thing that is now is proven by science is getting up and leaving the desk you're sitting at, going for a walk, getting moving about is is also great for sorting um, ideas that you're struggling with, just stepping away from it, approaching it from a different way, and and. If I didn't have dogs, I probably wouldn't go out for a walk every day. Um, but I have to because I've got dogs, and so it kind of forces forces that upon you, which is which is great. And then you you also have to organise your time around it and take time off, which is something that's hard to do if you're freelance. Is it easy for you to acknowledge when you need to get up from something? To just obviously, as you say, you have the dogs, you have to make the time to go and walk them. I, I guess also before you got them, was it easy for you to acknowledge when you needed to take a break? not not really no um uh yeah when you when you're pulling your hair out and being totally unproductive um so one of my other things is is um is is the absence of a phone is one of my mental health I, i've recently this show that i'm writing on has meant i've had to do quite a lot of research and i'm dyslexic and so i've never really been very good at sitting down and reading and this has made meant i've had to read quite a lot of books to research on nature and, and interesting facts that you can base stories on and it's meant that I've been on my phone and social media much less. And I found that has been great for my mental health and not constantly um, seeing how other people are doing on, on yeah, f- feeling jealous of what people are doing, getting FOMO when people are on having lovely holidays and you're not. Um, uh, yeah, being in, a, in an imaginative world created by one person is much better uh, place for your brain to be than uh, an imaginary world created by an algorithm that's trying to sell you stuff yeah i think the more i go on and it's really hard because being creative especially being a stand-up social media is really important um fortunately in writing it's not so much um uh this sort of writing anyway i don't have to sell sell books or anything like that what i'm doing at the moment uh, i just have to get on with it and deliver it 
deliver a good script for the people I'm working for. Um, but yeah, not having to do all that social media stuff at the moment is yeah is a tonic because it yeah it definitely is a strain on your brain. But the, both of those things so far, the, the way or some of the things you mentioned about the dogs and again the absence of a phone, they seem to relate to making sure you stay in the real world that you're not plugged into a screen and just absorbed by that. Yeah, yeah, and and also, but also again, it goes back to the creativity thing of of I'm just reading lots of books at the moment and factual and uh, sort of fiction and nonfiction, um, getting a lot into Neil Gaiman who I've never read before, and I'm I'm a big fan of sort of uh, imaginative. Uh, yeah, I, next thing I'd like to do, I'd like to do something that's that's very much in my imagination, um, uh, rather than because the thing I'm doing at the moment is very much set in the real world, and yeah, it's that escapism, but uh, also yeah authored art is great because there's so much stuff out there that's yeah that's being brought to you by ai and and algorithms and and it's based around what it wants to sell you um because yeah yeah n- nearly every sort of media outlet is about selling you stuff that you don't necessarily need or want and so a bit of less of that in your life is probably good for your brain is it largely books that you tend to lean towards? Is it because they're descriptive and all the stuff that's going on in them? Or do you go to, st- I know you mentioned TV, do you go to stuff like films as well? Yeah, watch lots of films, um, uh, rinsed all the streaming services, drive all the films I want to watch. Uh, um, uh, yeah, try and go to the cinema as much as I can. Um, it's mainly books, partly because I've, yeah, I've, one of my main ambitions is I want to write a write a book of some sort at some point, and uh, so sort of delving into that sort of writing and get yeah, um, building on yeah that sort of thing. Um, uh, but yeah, anything I listen to, listen to when I'm driving, I listen to a lot of radio and podcasts. Um, uh, yeah, but currently at the moment, it's it's lot lots of books mainly because I've got to do lots of reading for this show, and uh, I've just got into it, and uh, yeah, found really just in the last couple of months, really found the benefits of it. Great. Was it easy for you to, I guess, get back into reading, uh, to continue that and grow that habit? I, and I partly ask that because there are some people who, you know, reading seems to just come naturally, for want of a better phrase to them, and they'll that will be their thing. They will read and read and read, and that's their escape. And then, I, I guess, you know, someone like me, so a couple of years ago, I was like, I haven't read for ages, I've got a giant pile here, so I tried to read my height in books and failed. And then I stopped after that, and then I was like, okay, I need to start again. Got a Goodreads account, and then the bio was something like inconsistently trying to get back into reading more consistently, and that didn't go well. And I'm slightly starting again. It, this is a ramble about nothing. Effectively, the question is, <laughs> did you find it easy to get back into reading? Um, I found it because my problem was because I'm dyslexic and I'm very slow at reading. Um, and I, but I, because I'm Bolshevik also, and I'm a contrarian. I when I all my education was incredibly reading heavy work, I studied English and history at uni and at, and at A level, uh, which is very reading heavy. And so I, so I tried to, I tried to sort of do reading the most worthy sort of reading. So I would always read classics because I was doing English literature. And after that, I'd always try and read classics. And sometimes classics aren't very easy to read. And some of them aren't page turners, and some of them are in an alien sort of not alien language, but a sort of a foreign language, or a, or a a language that's removed from the way people speak and so i actually found reading lots of books on nature which is what i'm researching for this thing and reading in order to find interesting facts about nature that i could base stories on was uh i mean bigger basically being paid to read is great uh but that that then made me realize oh actually because prior to that i'd get a novel or something like that um and 
I'd read a couple of pages at night and that was it. And I'd um, and I'd fall asleep halfway through a page. And so I'd, I'd read novels, but incredibly slowly. And now I just go to bed a bit earlier, uh, read. I'm reading different. Um, yeah, reading lots of Neil Gaiman at the moment, some graphic novels as well, which I've never read before. Um, and just, yeah, exploring it in a different way. And so maybe the, the trick for you might be try reading something entirely different that you've never tried to read before. Um, um, and don't necessarily have to be highbrow about it. It's like, read, just try try reading other things because, because yeah, highbrow stuff isn't any better um, for you than mm-hmm. lowbrow stuff. It's like, it's the more stuff you've got going into your brain, the better. Uh, and if you're not, if you're absorbing something very worthy incredibly slowly, it's probably better to read a, a crime thriller uh, just to get those muscles working because it is a muscle. Because like, yeah, it's you. Yeah, I found I was starting to get eye strain because I've been reading so much because uh, I'm not used to it. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, just mix it up and try and try and read something different. I guess I'm currently reading um, Once Upon a Crime by Fergus Craig, which I think might be the funniest book I've read for quite some time. That's pretty just like okay. a short, snappy crime thriller comedy book that mentions Kit Kat chunkies a lot. Um, you mentioned Neil Gaiman. Um, I think the only thing I've read by him might be um, Good Omens. That's the one. Um, is that something you tend to lean towards fantasy for that escape uh, genre? Well, because uh, the, the thing I've had most fun writing in the last few years is, is I wrote a, sh- a film for um, Ubisoft, some characters called the Rabbids, which are marking. They're a bit like the, the um, bit like the minions, but they're they're little crazy rabbits from space. Rabbits from space. And they're French, uh, so they, they they're really big in France. They're not so big here, um, but it was just about a story of them traveling to Mars, and they're aliens, and so you can make up stuff about them, and you can create alien races that you can make up stuff about, and it's lovely because you can just you can come up with again stupid ideas, um, ideas that no one else would necessarily have thought of, and uh, so yeah, so that and I just think yeah, it's it's an an interesting way of um, approaching the real world is via your imagination and, and the things you can create. And so, yeah, my favorite thing, my favorite stories are time travel stories and, and things like that. And I, I've, I got a reputation on the kids um, TV writing circuit, basically always pitching time travel stories, regardless of how appropriate it was for the, for the show. Cause I just like the idea of um, yeah, stretching that stre- stretching what's possible. And especially in animation, you can do so many more things than you can in live action um, and certainly more than the stage. Yeah, I just I just love it that where where your your imagination is your only boundary really. What's it like? Because you mentioned the Rabbits film, and that's one of the things you got an international Emmy nomination for. What's yeah. it like when something like that that you mentioned is quite silly has all these really creative ideas going on? What's it like when that gets recognition on that scale? Yeah, um, it was lovely, and also that was a, it was yeah it was bec- it was a very hard trying to tell because basically the the, the rabbits they had a rule the rabbits that the rabbits can't learn anything and telling a sort of feature length story about characters that can't learn is really tricky so that was a hard thing you have to your characters have to learn or else you haven't got a story and so working out that there was because it's a legacy thing that's been around for a while and it's got a lot of games and things attached to it so you've got to be true to the characters. But they only ever told seven-minute stories with them, more games. And so they'd never tried to do anything. And we genuinely got a story that kids liked and adults liked and had an emotional, made you feel like strong emotions and shed the odd tear 
for these weird little barking alien rabbits, which is great. And then to have so like it was up against Shaun the Sheep for the International Emmy animation uh, last year. And it's like Shaun the Sheep is one of the yeah the most um, established kids brands in the world. Yeah, and I know the writer who wrote the Shaun the Sheep thing, who is a sort of the mentor of mine. And uh, yeah, to be on the same sort of platform as him was lovely. Shall we move on to item number three? Item number three, um, uh, running shoes. I I run um, is it, which is probably the same sort of ballpark as as um, uh, as as the dogs and going for a walk. But but um, yeah, I just find my brain works entirely differently during a run and after a run. It's a great way of just resetting your brain i sort of do a load of stretches as well um uh which usually sorts out any aches and pains that i might have and yeah just properly blows the cobwebs away uh but also um if you don't have the right shoes um i'm I'm in my late 40s now so yeah good running shoes (laughs) yeah on the shelf and then making everything else muddy what i I guess well let's uh, start off do you listen to anything while um you run I tend to listen to, um, I mainly listen to music. I li- tend to listen to um, Big Fan of Six Music, BBC Six Music. And when I'm driving, I li- listen to Radcliffe and McConey, who are very funny um, and daft. And when I'm running, I listen to Keris uh, um, uh, Matthews, who does lots of, uh, plays lots of, um, quite a lot of jazz, quite a lot of international um, sort of world music. And listening to foreign language music is... Uh, is quite good running because you you your that your mind can then wander. I never used to listen to anything. I just used to run and think. Um, but uh, then I got the right earphones as well, which is important if you want to listen to yeah stuff when you're running. Um, but yeah, that's just a great way of just turning your brain off for half an hour and uh, sweating it out. And 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 your brain your brain works totally differently. The ideas I come up while I'm running are uh, usually totally sort of outside the box things. Sometimes they're totally impractical, but I think it's the adrenaline talking. But um, it's another way of, yeah, another way of accessing parts of your brain that you wouldn't necessarily um, access, yeah, just sitting in your chair and staring at the blank paper you're trying to fill with ideas. Uh, someone else um, a couple of episodes ago picked running shoes and she spoke about how it is, number one, it is, as you mentioned, staying healthy. It can give you that boost and you mentioned their adrenaline and the various things that that can potentially do. And again, it comes back to that idea, I guess, of having to get outside and just stepping away from everything else. Yeah, and and also the the mental health issues I've had have been usually anxiety uh, led and probably led by the peaks and troughs of of um, adrenaline that that um, that comedy brings, um, which probably isn't overly healthy. Just having great big like like you doing the Edinburgh Festival, you kind of get a sort of come down afterwards because it's a bit like because you you just had so much adrenaline because quite often you can work you can be on stage like four or five times a day for an entire month and so having those adrenaline peaks going up and down it, it's very often in, in, yeah interrupts your it, it affects your digestion it affects your sleep and uh, when i'm stressed i tend to sleep badly i tend to sort of get ibs and things like that and um yeah the, the great thing about running in particular is it just burns off so much energy and so much so much of that um stuff that it really yeah it when I, I i i have in my life had panic attacks and the best way of stopping those is getting outside and exercising and, and burning off some of that adrenaline would you say that it's helped bring the word that's coming to mind is more consistency then to your life more stability in in terms of your mental state yeah no definitely yeah it just it's like a vent um mm. to just get rid of a lot of those of negative feelings uh 
yeah and when i'm running and I'm, i've injured my foot at the moment so i'm not running quite so much but um yeah when i'm running i'm definitely more and the, the thing is about doing anything like that it's it's and i'm not a natural athlete at all i rubbish at sport at school and things um but you know i never look for i never used to look forward to running because especially when it's cold and it's wet and it's raining but then eventually if you do it long enough you realize that you will feel so much better about everything uh, after a run and lots of things that um feel insurmountable are less insurmountable after you've yeah got out and sort of yeah kind of just it's, it's a sort of entire body reset and i don't i don't run competitively i don't run incredibly long distances because my fear would be that i'd injure myself and wouldn't be able to run anymore and uh yeah and i yeah i think just for my i'm a bit of a hypochondriac as well so knowing that i can run 5k um at the drop of hat is always good <laughs> sort of yeah clearly some things are working in my body um so yeah, that that helps with that sort of uh, neurosis. Do you mind me asking, when you've had those anxiety surges that you mentioned, and you mentioned that in the past you've had panic attacks, is it all right me asking how you dealt with those in the aftermath? Kind of how your mind worked. Did you kick yourself about things? Did you try to pick yourself up? What was that like? It was mainly things that you didn't realise how stressed you were when it was built. One, well, I had one on stage very early up shortly after a really good friend of mine died of cancer um and some later on where i was at where I was at, having financial uh worries uh, and had a just a uh like a panic attack in the middle of the night just woke up thought i was having a heart attack um and also had a um had a, a um, imagined health scare and uh yeah a lot of it was you you the thing is with mental health things you don't necessarily know you've got it until it's out of control um and a lot of it is about a lot of the problems that come where with your coping mechanisms that you have for these things and, and you you're trying to keep on an even keel and trying to feel normal and uh, it all builds up and then it explodes before you know it. But knowing that it can happen is a good way of stopping it happening and, and sort of realise realizing what you were doing wrong. And I, I think I'm quite lucky in that I can quite I can apart from things that are out of control like money um because one yeah one of one of my other things on the shelf is money uh i'm never i'm ne I'm always in a better financial place when i'm being paid well which is uh fairly obvious and and quite trite but yeah so much of so much of my mental health issues have been through going through sort of yeah debt and things like that which um hasn't happened too often but what yeah when things are hard financially it, it yeah it's a there's a direct correlation between yeah how your brain works and those stresses because i've got kids and and um and people who rely on me and so that adds on the pressure as well so that's yeah that's another one of the things on the list is money <laughs> just before we get on to money um on the point of i guess learning from those moments of anxiety and those previous uh mental health bumps uh i guess is one way of putting it does that experience i guess allow you to put something in place to perhaps prevent it in future or at least understand it a bit more and because uh, I'm trying to think a number of years ago when I was going through something just putting something in place so that I understood what was going on or I could almost mark what was happening brought more understanding and therefore I guess lowered the risk of something bad happening did you put yeah. anything in place um I, I mean running was the main thing that mm. I put in place I realized that um that I wasn't uh wasn't yeah wasn't exercising enough or at all uh and uh and you could sort of yeah you could sort of feel the tension building up inside you and uh and 
yeah and then when i started running and running regularly you realize that it just started getting better and so yeah my 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 aim is always to get out and run as often as i can um yeah i've got an injury at the moment so um i'm not as much doing it as much but also other things like for example i'm very busy with work i'm really enjoying so i'm not as stressed as as i am when i haven't got work that i enjoy and and there isn't money coming in uh so uh yeah running is the main thing that that sort of uh that i put in place because yeah i realized that that's my the easy fix for some of the problems i've got what's the landscape like where you run um yeah so i live in letchworth garden city uh which is very green there's mm. a there's a there's a common in the middle of it and there's a there's a um a path all the way around the outside so it yeah i'm right on the edge of i'm in a sort of a small town but right next to the country uh and it's uh yeah so you're running through greenery and trees and fields and uh which is also great um and what's lovely is going running around and seeing uh the wildlife and the trees and the and the different seasons change and there's an area where there's loads of little bunnies in spring who get her out your way it's like yeah it's like running through bambi at times uh, there's also small uh evil looking deer called mountain jack deer uh which live in uh my area uh and yeah just running into little yeah bits of wildlife like that is is yeah is is yeah just again it's getting out in the world but the great thing about running is you see more of it quicker as well as uh, and at a heightened uh state of awareness so yeah it's it's mainly yeah mainly england's green and pleasant land that i run through which is lovely and there's a really lovely cinema in Letchworth, but uh, let's not dwell on that. Yes. Yes. Um, let's talk about money. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Very often the source of most of my woes and uh, and being freelance in a time with COVID and with uh, there's a there was a writer strike uh, in the states last year, which really affected my industry. Um, and yeah, and stand up the money for stand up's not gone up for uh, the 25 years that I've been doing it, and so. Um, yes, yeah, so, so, sometimes you can find, however successful you're going, you suddenly find that there's the work suddenly stops, which is yeah a bit of a stress. Uh, and m- yes, yeah, so much of my mental health problems have come from lack of money. I come fortunate enough to come from a yeah fairly well-to-do background, um, uh, but yeah, so I, I've got a safety net to a certain extent. But you you don't want to jump into the safety net necessarily, and so uh, yeah, so that's that that's a, a, often the uh, and the source of yeah, mental health problems um yeah and so doing a job that you that's paid well and you enjoy is is great but that's that yeah that's a really hard thing to find and put it on your shelf yeah so i'm being very lucky at the moment does it also remind you then that you are employed you are doing work you're in demand and people think you're good at what you do yeah no totally and so much of it is through yeah so it i mean stand-up is incredibly um needy <laughs> stand-ups are very needy in that, that we wouldn't do what we do if we didn't have part of us that needed the applause of strangers um and so um yeah definitely having people appreciate what you do you get the appreciation of your peers um and uh and knowing that you're good at something is is definitely i think it's useful for everyone but if someone especially someone who's drawn towards creativity um being good at it is is uh the idea that you're um you spent all this time doing this thing and you're not good enough to earn a living is uh yeah is is quite stressful if that's what you're used to it uh, i've heard a lot of people say this uh, generally about the stand-up circuit but particularly when i listen to richard herring's podcast and the way that he criticizes the edinburgh festival 
for the amount that it costs for just how pretty much anyone going there is now going to make a loss of probably a couple of grand, that can't help, particularly when you're already stressed trying to present something new with a show. Yeah, and it's 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 yeah, and it also creating something new and and because doing the fringe is very much sort of this is my new baby, love it, uh, and uh, if that. So I've I've been lucky and I've been unlucky. I've had years where I've broken even. I've had years when I've made a small amount of money. I've had years when I lost thirteen grand, um, and at the same time that was uh, a really badly received show. It was very incredibly experimental, um, too experimental, and it, and it wasn't a very good show. Um, but partly because I didn't have time to do it because I created something that I yeah I couldn't uh, couldn't couldn't bring to fruition in the best way. Um, so that was very stressful of just um, and and it is um, as I was watching a, a podcast with uh, Phil Ellis talking about class in comedy and uh, he made a very good point about uh, how uh, yeah if he, he's based in the north and uh, and works really hard works clubs all over the place earns a living and. Uh, and there's there is a, a there there are yeah a lot of sort of yeah, middle class and upper middle class people who don't have to earn a living but still s- stick at it and uh, yeah yeah and that's that's very stressful because yeah yeah we do definitely live off the approval of others so all of that the money and uh, and the success and the praise is 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 possibly the key, the key to it if you yeah if you're a shallow shallow show off like I am. Uh, is it easy to have these conversations, particularly with other comics, or is is generally you know money and pay all that kind of stuff? Is it something that people are kind of they they keep to themselves? It's stuff that people complain about because the money hasn't gone up, and you can have those conversations without finding out what you you're paid and what other people are paid. Mm. Um, uh, and there's there's a sort of a natural pecking order, and there's people who are doing more things than others, um, but also because there's because every lots of comics are diversifying and doing other things partly because it's it's really hard you got to be really working every night and traveling a lot to to make a decent living out of doing live stand up at the moment unless you're touring um uh i i call myself a club comic um these days i i currently when i really need to i can make a living off the circuit but i uh, yeah i it just involves a lot of traveling which i'm um less interested in doing these days yeah, you tend, tend not to have conversations about how much you're paid and how much they're paid. Um, more just complaining about that no one's paid enough. Do you talk much about, I guess, financial struggles in a way, or is that something that you just kind of keep within your family sphere if even you talk to them about it? Um, yeah, you do a bit. I mean, yeah, you sort of... Uh, yeah, I tend to talk about it more when it's over. Yeah. <laughs> and like, oh, yeah, in order to temper when I'm doing very well uh, to go oh, last this year has been terrible, but I'm having a great time at the moment. Um, yeah. It's a hard thing to talk about. It's um, it feels like failure. Um, uh, yeah. Especially if you're, if you've got a family and, uh, and responsibilities and stuff like that. And um, yeah. And I was brought up in quite a traditional household where my dad was the breadwinner. And, uh, and so you've got that all, all that crap. Um, uh, and it is crap um hardwired into you so uh yeah that sort of probably burrows into everything that's wrong with your brain do you find yourself in those moments kicking yourself or do you kind of just are you able to put it into perspective and not blame yourself on what you do i i i I tend to on a conscious level probably not on a subconscious level i probably um don't in that i you realize that everything you all the decisions you made 
uh, have given you everything good and bad in your life, and you wouldn't have the good bits if you didn't have if you didn't have the bad bits. And so, I am quite good at going. Okay, it definitely made some mistakes on the way, but um, uh, there's no point in beating yourself up about it. Um, yeah, I probably yeah, that's probably not true on a subconscious level, but um, uh, I'm quite good at compartmentalizing the past and going, well, that happened. Let's move on. Because at the end of the day, you're still doing what you're doing. You're writing. You're performing. You're still doing it all. Yeah, yeah, and I do. You do. So I, I, um, I call my house the house that jokes built, uh, because I lived. I, I have, yeah, paid the bills um, by being funny in some way or another for like twenty odd years. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's also the public's perception of stand up is that if you're Michael McIntyre, you're successful, and if you're uh, if you're a club comic, you're not successful. That as far as I'm concerned, I've not had a proper job for twenty five years. And that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, that's, you've got to give yourself credit where it, where it's due, and like that. Um, yeah, I haven't had a day job for uh, years, and everything I do is is being creative and and funny in some way. So, yeah, and the, yeah, it's good to remind yourself of that in the yeah in the dark times. Is it easy to do that? Oh, well, on a on a conscious level, it is. But yeah, yeah, depends. Don't know how much of that praise gets down to. Little Howard, <laughs> the, the sort of subconscious the guy inside. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, he's behaving himself at the moment. So, um, yeah, it clearly does to a certain extent. Good. Shall we move on to your final item then? Noise cancelling headphones, I, I, which I don't have any of when I should do, because I, uh, I think being dyslexic, I really struggle if there's any talk going on. Like we heard decorators in and they had the radio on and I just, it just it almost it scrambles my brain hearing words while I'm trying to write words. And so that's a thing I should get because, and also uh, yeah, I get woken up easily by, by noise. Yeah. So that, that would be the last one. It's probably the most, I, I, I probably should have structured my, um, my shelf better because that's, that's a rubbish one to end on. Um, the, well, going back to the dog thing, I realized there's a, there's a thing that there was a theory, which I read on social media that if you, you should treat your mental health, like you would treat a dog. And every so often, you, if you if you're doing well, if you go, good boy, <laughs> to yourself. If something's gone well, or you've done something well, you kind of need to praise yourself like you would praise a dog in a very simple, animalistic way. Um, yeah, that just occurred to me. Um, yeah, that, that that I have found that to be genuinely useful to just every so often stop thinking about things and just go, how I've done good, <laughs> and pat yourself on the head. And uh, and it does feel like it's. It, there's two of you talking to like a lot of what I do has got sort of a duality in it. Like big Howard, little Howard is, is I split myself into two. And you also do have to think of yourself like that, that you're, you are two different people. You're your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. And um, all of this stuff is about helping the, the subconscious, the you inside. And I've got, I've done no, I've, I've got no expertise on this whatsoever. I'm totally a backseat driver, um, sort of a uh, pop psychologist, but um, yeah, think doing things like that, just, just giving yourself on the pat on the head and going, well done, good boy. Um, when uh, you've done something well, does appear to help get it inside to that little weirdo inside that gives you all your neuroses. I will ask about the headphones in a second, but uh, just beforehand, on a previous episode um, of this podcast, I was talking to um, a, a magician and we were kind of discussing how do you recognize the good shows or the good gigs or, and you know, we all kick ourselves about the bad ones, the general good ones. Yeah, that was good. Moving on to the next. 
And then the really good ones, how do you recognise that? And for me, when I've done a decent radio show, I'll buy myself a kebab. And so we were discussing that. How how do you reward yourself? How do you say, good Howard? Um, well, I, there's a painting on the wall behind me. Uh, I, when I, I had a time when I, I got I got nominated, oh, I won a BBC New Comedy Award for an, one of the first animations I did. Uh, and I, I, I was in Edinburgh and I bought myself, um, there's a painting of an elephant on the floor behind me. Um, I'd been in a, in a in a bagel shop, and they had these art these artworks on the one. I got in touch with the artist and bought one. And then later, when I got nominated for the Perrier, um, which dates it, um, I bought the uh, the uh, crocodile that's behind me. Um, so I, I sort of buy nice, uh, yeah. If I can, if I can afford it at the time, I tend to buy a nice thing that reminds me of of that. Yeah, and it's all. It, but yeah, it, all, it also all depends on finances and things like that. But hey, I'm a big foodie, and you know, so I yeah, I tend to like nice, nice, nice to go out on for a for a nice meal. Just usually trying to buy nice art things uh, that can reward other artists as well is is always a nice way of doing it. But yeah, it's genuinely I de- genuinely do pat myself on the head and go, "Good boy, well done," um, <laughs> <laughs> which really does help. It's bizarre, but um, yeah. And that's free as well. <laughs> On the front of the noise-cancelling headphones, then, that you've picked, a lot of this stuff so far that we've discussed has been escaping out into the world. Um, so going running, walking the dogs, all that kind of stuff. And this one very much seems to be kind of escaping from the world. As you mentioned, so you're not distracted by noise of people doing work in your house or just everything around you. And so you can focus on your work. But I guess you can have the escape of music as well. Uh, yeah, but I, I tend to not. I, if if music's got words in it, I can't. It distracts me, and I mm. can't can't think about it. I can. I, there's uh, a, sort of one of the many dyslexic hacks I have is when I get when my brain gets tired, I just get the computer to do the reading for me. And so when my when the decorator was here, I just I didn't read. I just let the computer and turn the volume up and let the computer talk to me in a robot voice uh, over the Jeremy Vine show, um, which is very talky, which is very annoying. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it's also yeah. It's, it's just it's just it's nice to have yourself and have just silence. Uh, yeah, and then you can sort of hear your own, yourself think. Um, in terms of I guess the computer reading something to you, is that something that you only do when there are those distractions when your mind's tired, or does it help because you know if you write something, it can become a jumble because you spent so much time with it, or you don't know what words mean anymore. Does someone else just yeah. reading help? Yeah, no, definitely. And it also helps you um, to spot typos. It also helps if you're writing dialogue, if a um, emotionless computer can make it sound good, then you've written a good bit of text. Also, I also print things out and scribble on them. That's also a really good way of think approaching it entirely differently, using a different part of your brain. Um, I have uh, some scripts here that are all, are all scribbled on where, you, where it, help, it really helps with structures of scripts. If you you can draw a circle around it and drag it and don't actually change it in the real world in the real on the document, but just scribble on it and then when you those go onto the computer and apply those, um, then you're cr- using a different part of your brain again to to analyze what you're doing. Does it help to just make that process that little bit less monotonous? Yeah, just do it. Just doing things differently, but also I yeah de- definitely um, you're using different parts of your brain and 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 approaching it differently and stimulating different. Um, and just using your hands differently. I touch type because my dad bribed me to when I was doing my GCSEs because he knew I couldn't spell. Um, and so I type quicker than I think. Uh, and so 
I think very differently writing longhand and my handwriting is terrible uh, but it also accesses a different part of the brain it's how I learned to write and uh, it's the one that yeah so it probably accesses a different part an older part of your brain because all the way through school I wrote with a pen and I couldn't read what I said was writing then either um, but yeah it just it just approaching a problem from a different direction is is often worth doing in itself even if you aren't tired just to give it a different perspective is it easy to kind of switch how you're approaching that problem to move to something different is it is it easy for you to acknowledge that that needs to be the case usually i just alternate it so i do a pass on on it one way and uh print it out and then it also means you can go and sit and sit on a sofa and do mm-hmm. it or go and sit in a cafe and scribble on a and even doing that just getting your work on a laptop and going to a cafe um a cafe that's dog friendly for your unfriendly dogs yeah is also a, a good way of just yeah um switching things up a bit and then the headphones are they with you pretty much throughout the process or yeah if i if they need to be yeah um i don't actually have any noise cancelling headphones it's one of it's on my oh, wish right. list yes. of, uh, of uh of, yeah or yeah just listening to music that it's like if i'm on a train and someone's next to me having a conversation i just have to listen to the conversation i can't I, yeah, yeah so I, that is what yeah one of the things i need to it's my that's on my imaginary shelf maybe that should be the next good boy um <laughs> thing i get myself is uh I reward myself with noise cancelling headphones that's a very good idea why haven't i got this <laughs> yeah. well before you go off and buy those shall we go through the items on your shelf one more time mm-hmm so, so running shoes to just uh, blow away the cobwebs. A book that specifically isn't a phone or a screen. Uh, yeah, and just escaping into other worlds. My dogs, which I think I started with, um, who, uh, yeah, relaxing for me, but not relaxing if anyone else is anywhere near because they're really angry. Uh, if anybody wants to watch my routine about my very angry dogs, it's online. Money is is uh, one of the things that, uh, lack of money is the, one of the things that gives, yeah, has historically given me the most sort of mental health issues. Uh, and noise cancelling headphones because yeah i can't cope with other words when i need to be creating words of my own what goes through your mind when you read all those back um <laughs> no, nothing much i've had a long day um uh yeah it's really interesting that sort of yeah the the things the the coping mechanisms you you find for um firstly finding out that you have mental health problems which we all do um uh, and they, especially as you get older, and uh, and I think COVID has really thrown off a load of people's mental health problems that wouldn't necessarily have come up as soon as they did without a big, just someone shaking the world um, for two years. Um, uh, yeah, it's sort of it's 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 also you should give yourself a pat on the head to go. Yeah, I've found these these coping mechanisms that help because yeah, just being nice to yourself basically, isn't it? Is is one of the other um, keys to it. Uh, I can't claim to be an expert, but uh, yeah, it seems to be it. giving yourself a pat on the head and buying yourself some noise cancelling headphones. I might just get off this and, and uh, as soon as I get off this call, I, yeah, I shall get onto those. Well, I'll leave you be to uh, go and research some headphones. Howard, thank you so, so much for your time. Thanks very much, Shane. And there we have it, the mental health shelf of Howard Reed. Now, regular listeners to this podcast will probably know what I'm about to say, and that is relating to the fact that Howard put dogs on the shelf. And whenever dogs appear, I usually ask, what kind of dog are they? Something along those lines. Basically do everything I can to see the dog. There are jokes of a spin-off podcast called Please Show Me Your Dog. 
officially, technically, episode one has actually happened. Now, I know in the last episode I said I saw a picture of one. This time I actually saw the dogs before we'd even properly started recording or speaking. Howard pointed out his dogs were in the room, lowered the camera to show them, and the dogs were walking around, and they were in the background during the interview at times. And so, yes, this is officially... Also, alongside being episode 14 of The Mental Health Shelf, episode 1, maybe point five, of Please Show Me Your Dog. Something which, even more than The Mental Health Shelf, I'm running purely for myself, even though it doesn't exist, and apparently was worth spending that much time of the outro talking about. Anyway, a huge thanks to Howard for joining me. Really enjoyed talking to him for the podcast. There was a point where he mentioned a stand-up routine about his dogs. There's one or two of those on YouTube. I'll link one of them in the podcast description, wherever that may be, wherever you're listening, alongside one or two of his social profiles and his YouTube channel, which has uh, episodes of Little Howard's Big Question or just stand-up routines from years gone by if you wish to dive into those. As I say, I will link those in the podcast description. Also, we'll wrap this up eventually, I promise. I mentioned during some questions previous episodes of the podcast but failed to mention who they were with. Uh, The episode where we discuss running shoes and fitness, I believe that's uh, number 11 with Helen O'Hara. And the magician that I mentioned where, once again, I bring up kebabs is episode 10, I think, the one just before, uh, with Gabriella Lester, a particular favourite episode of mine. I really enjoyed that one. So that's who those were with if you wanted to check those out. Of course, available alongside a number of other episodes of this very podcast. I'll wrap things up now. Once again, a big thanks to Howard for joining me. Thank you to you for listening, particularly if you've made it this far. And I'll be back next month with another guest, another set of items, and another mental health shelf. Goodbye for now.